Welcome back to another episode of Polar Times, the podcast that brings you science and stories from literally the coolest places on the planet. Hi everyone, welcome back to Polar Times. I'm super, super excited to bring you today's guest, not least because uh, this is the first episode we've had in a while, sorry about that, but also because I had a great time chatting to them. Um, I mean, I always do, but I particularly enjoyed um, speaking to today's guest, perhaps because I find myself in a similar position to them, you know, finishing uh, a PhD. I'm basically wondering how soon I can get back to the the Arctic or the Antarctic, because as we say, almost straight on, I know it's a cliche, but once you go once, you just just get the bug. (laughs) Anyway, today's today's guest is a... um, Uh, I suppose they trained as a biogeochemist, so they have a scientific academic background, but they're also um, a documentary maker. And um, they came to my attention because they won a photo competition, which Apex hosted last year. And you can go and see his winning photo. We've linked it in the bio this episode, and you can see why it won, because it's fantastic. And I just wanted to talk to him to see kind of what the background for that photo was. But then that led into the whole, um, a great conversation because it turned out he has tons and tons of field experience. So we talked all about that. Um, And it turns out that the organization that he's currently worked for is doing fantastic work, um, like indigenous led science and uh, science communication through documentary making and how that is contributing to knowledge sharing and the spreading of helpful information and all kinds of great stuff like that. So I really hope that you today enjoy today's episode um, because it was, I enjoyed it as well. So without further ado, here we are, Polar Times. Okay, everyone, please welcome to the stage. My guest for today is Pierre Coupel. Hi, Pierre. How's it going? Oh, very fine. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on to Polar Times today. It's good to have you. So this is the first part of the podcast. Uh, We call it the icebreaker. It's where we get to know you, as people who listen regularly will know. So as ever, my first question is, who are you and how did you come to polar life? Uh, So I'm uh, I'm Pierre. Um, I'm from France and I'm born in the southwest of France, uh, near to the Pyrenees, near to the Atlantic Ocean. And um, since I'm a, I'm a kid, uh, I'm used to uh, watch documentary about uh, wildlife, about nature, uh, about scientists walking on the field. And um, I spent many time looking at this. I spent many time outside also. I went from the countryside. So uh, looking at the birds and, and uh, ants and, and playing in the, in the field. Um, so naturally, I... I I, um, I am to study more biology, and uh, because I have this love of ocean, I spend a lot of time in the ocean, uh, swimming and in lake. So uh, I went to study ocean, and I, I, I went in Marseille, southeast of France, uh, to study oceanography. And uh, during this uh, study, I ended up doing a master uh, on polar uh, science. Um, it was not uh, an, 
purpose that I find uh, uh, these topics on, on Arctic. Uh, but I remember during my uh, scholarship, I, I, I one moment I study, I make a, a presentation about the green and melting. And I think I was very uh, affected and interested by the climate change at this time. And I would like to know more. Um, and also there is another thing that happened when I was uh, children. Um, my uncle, he is a scientist, and uh, he went on a, on a scientific cruise on a boat, and he bring me back a teeth of uh, elephant seals. And I think he, he put a little seed in, uh, in my head, and I start to think about this uh, very remote place, uh, far south or far north. And certainly it was beginning of, of this yeah okay excellent and then after that you went on to go and do a phd am i correct uh, in quebec yeah uh i did my phd in uh, in paris actually uh it's oh, okay. a strange place to study arctic ocean but uh uh I was interested by the biogeochemistry, so um, to put together the biology, the chemistry, and also the physics of the ocean. And uh, and I end up in, in Paris where people, there is a team studying the Arctic Ocean. So I start uh, working on the phytoplankton, uh, these tiny plants uh, that are uh, floating in the ocean and uh, feeding the entire trophic uh, chain so the uh, animals. And um, during this, uh, this PhD in Paris, I had the opportunity to, to go on an icebreaker. Uh, first time uh, I went on the uh, Canadian icebreaker. Okay. And there I was very fascinated by, uh, by entering this uh, white world. It was, it was amazing, and the team on board was amazing also. And it's where I, I meet the communities of, uh, of uh, Canadian uh, scientists, especially from Quebec, because the boat is based in Quebec. And when I come back from this uh, cruise, uh, I was sure I would like to continue to go in the north. So I, I find the best way to, to continue to go on an icebreaker and to go in the north. And the best way was to do a postdoc in Quebec. And this why now I'm still in Quebec. I did a postdoc uh, during four years in, in Quebec. And I have many opportunities to go every year uh, on the field. Wow, right. Okay, nice. So where, so where did you go on that first on that first cruise from, uh, um, was I guess just the Canadian Arctic up north up there. So where, where, where did you go and what, what kind of, what was it about the place that you enjoyed so much that struck you as? Uh, yeah, I was kind of lucky for the first experience uh, because uh, I first flight until uh, Victoria in uh, Vancouver Island. Um, and here I have to wait the boat that came from south, uh, from Panama, and you have to, to stop uh, in Vancouver Island so uh, some people of the team can get in. There is a storm more in south, so I have to spend one more week in Victoria, so I was lucky to discover already the, the, this place. Uh, there is a lot of bald eagle, and there is orca, so there is a lot of wildlife. Mm -hmm. And finally, I went on the boat, and here we, we go straight north. Uh, we, we pass the Bering Strait and enter in the, in the Beaufort Sea, which is a sea north of uh, Alaska and, and, and Western Canada. 
And when you pass this bearing straight, is like a gate when you enter the Arctic world. Mm -hmm. And um, and here we have the first. I remember the morning. I wake up and there is all was totally white, and it was like Christmas, you know, when you wake up <laughs> and it, everything is white outside. You want to play in the snow. It was exactly the same, and so it was it was wonderful to see that and. Very lucky to see this first day also a polar bear uh, on the on the ice. So it was like uh, it's, uh, the animal of the place just welcome us uh, here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Everyone. A lot of people who go get the bug, don't they? And they just really want to go back as soon as, as soon as they can. But then you're yes. enough to do that. So. Um, so how many times did you? So you went. You've been on many field campaigns. Ben Sandler. So. Yeah, uh, I went in uh, during my PhD. Also went uh, on the Chinese icebreaker. Wow, okay. uh, so we, uh, I went on board in. Uh, I went in South Korea in a little island to get on board. So we have to cross the Japan Sea until also the Bering Strait. And here it was. Um, uh, there is a scientific goal in the mission, but there is also, I think, a political goal because the icebreaker want to go the more north possible to. To show that uh, also Chinese can have icebreakers that can go north, mm -hmm. but it was a very unique opportunity for science because we cross uh, the Canadian basin and we end up uh, at 88 degree north, very close to the North Pole, and and we make a settle nice camp there. But it was also a shock for me because. Uh, even at 85, 86 degree north, we find very wide area without ice because the ice was so thin, so thin in some place and sometimes it just disappeared. So I I think this year one was one of the years where there is a very minimal of ice in the Arctic. And I, I take the conscience uh, of also of this uh, disparition of the ice in summer at this time. So it was very uh, interesting. And after every, when I, I start my postdoc every year, I have chance to go on the icebreaker. And finally, I also went in on the ice camp, which is uh, not with a boat, but we fly to uh, uh, Inuit communities. And from there, we use snowmobile to go on, uh, on the ice camp uh, with a polar even and we spend one one month uh, doing the whole study under the ice. Okay, wow, incredible! I can't really. I'm trying to get my head around. Oh, there's so much to so much to talk about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. I guess what is life like on different icebreakers from different countries? I guess is it really different? Some things will be the same, I'm sure, but some things must be quite different. Yeah, no, it's it's very different. Uh, the more easy, I would say, it's a Canadian icebreaker because it's a close. Uh, many people are from Quebec, so the it's the same language, speak French, and uh, food is good, and, and and there is very very good communion between uh, the crew, uh, the marine people, and the scientists. Uh, so they are very used to to guess uh, scientists. So. It's a coast guard boat, so if there is an emergency, you need to go coast guard uh, to save uh, other boat. Um, but uh, there is a lot of space for scientific uh, work. And um, yeah, every time I go on, on this boat, I, I know half of the of the people or even more. So it, there is a lot of friends. So it's very it's very good to work on, but it's very very fun. 
Uh, on the tiny icebreaker, it's a cultural experience here, uh, and discovering arting, but also a cultural experience because uh, people speak Chinese most times, they, they also speak English, but all the communication you hear in the boat uh, on the on the the communication of the boat. Yeah, it's in Chinese. And sometimes I remember we change uh, the time because we, we cross the different uh, time channel and I didn't know. So I, I arrived in the morning and the breakfast and there is nobody just because I don't know. The yeah. <laughs> and uh, now it's, and also the food all is, is different. Um, but uh, on this world, there is a lot of capacity, a lot of uh, instrument, a lot of. So it's, it was really big. It's a big icebreaker, uh, 150 on board. And uh, no, it was very interesting culturally. And it was three months since so very long cruise also. Oh, yeah, that is a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time. And after, there is a, I went in an American icebreaker. And it's also different. Uh, different uh, kind of, of boat. Uh, here is more separate between uh, the crew member and the scientist, which was also very interesting, a big boat which is more uh, made for science. So all the facilities for science are very good. Um, and we, it was a more strong icebreaker, so we can come more early during the year in, uh, in, in spring and break uh, sick ice or walk poor to walk on what is under the ice with the Canadian is more when it's summer open open ocean uh, yeah yeah okay wow yeah I can't yeah it's I mean because it, life and I've not I've been like a passenger on the icebreakers before but never doing science on them but obviously I have a lot of colleagues who have and you know life is tricky enough on them when it's you know from your home nation and, and you know everyone and they're, and they're speaking your own language so I mean it must be even more um, you know dis disorientating I suppose to, yeah. to the owner but it's something I, I really love in, uh, in a boat I don't know if you uh, see the movie as a life aquatic all the, this imagination we have about Cousteau and or the Nautilus it's just to, to know that you are in a boat and there is many activities at the same time that happen in a boat. So it's mm -hmm. when you open a door, you have scientific scientists working on fish, you go in another place, there is scientists, uh, scientists uh, working on deploying a submarine, so you have images on the screen. So just going on these different uh, cabins with different activities, it's really uh, incredible. Uh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. What I like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice, uh, but then you've also done, like you said, the um, the ice camps, which is quite a different kind of field season. Can you tell us a bit more about what that's like, like living on the ice for like a month at a time, you said? Yeah, uh, I would say that it's more difficult uh, physically uh, because on the boat, every time you want, you just go on the boat and it's warm. You can go on the kitchen if you're hungry. Uh, you have your cabin where you can sleep just 
is about very close. Uh, even if we do a long day, uh, we have to wake up during the night to do station and all. Uh, I feel it's more comfortable in on the ice camp here all the time fighting a little against the cold every time you wear your gloves to do uh, some activities. Uh, when there is wind, uh, you just see nothing and. Uh, and so it's more difficult, but most of the time when we do ice camp, we didn't sleep on the ice camp. We 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 get back on the on the evening at the village where we have okay. a little little house uh, housing. So we and we spend all the day on the ice, but most of the time we we travel by snowmobile. Uh, I just spend some night on the ice camp because we have to do 24-hour experiments, for example. But um, And also, uh, you are exposed to polar bear. It never happens that a polar bear came, but you're exposed to the possibilities there is a polar bear that come. So we have the uh, gun, it's for safety. Uh, and you have uh, people that are here to just to watch uh, if there is a polar bear coming. Mm -hmm. So, what kind of science are you doing on the ice camps then? What 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 were you looking at? I guess were they was it different every time or the same project or? Uh, I went in different project, but uh, most of the time you have same kind of parameters that are taken. Um, so basically, you you put your tint and you make a call in the in the ice in the middle of your of your tint and from this hole you can deploy instruments so you have a, a, a you have a frame and you can deploy instrument to take water and uh, you can take water from different depths and this water will be uh, filtrated and you will do several analyses. You can look at the chemicals or you can use uh, look at the microorganisms that live inside. And so you have, uh, you have this, and after you have also people working on the ice uh, directly. So you take ice core with your ice core, and here you, you will uh, melt the ice. Also, you can look at chemicals on the microorganism, or you can also look at the structure of the ice, the crystals of the ice forms, and, and all the light penetrates through the ice because light is very important parameters uh, in Arctic because it's all the time shade by the ice or in polar nights there's a lot of uh, moments where the light is very very few but the, all the animals are very adapted to, to live in the, in the dark and shadow so we, we are very interested to, to understand all these animals and these plants that need light can survive and can develop uh, with very few light or sometimes a lot of light when it's uh, Right, yeah, interesting. So it's like tons of stuff. <laughs> yeah, tons of stuff. Yeah, it's very multidisciplinary every time because you need to have an overview of what's happening in physics, chemics, chemical, and even we use satellite image. You really need to have the maximum information to, to have the, the full story. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, I guess you, um, your experience, your expertise is like biogeochemistry. Is that right? I was more specialized on phytoplankton, these micro plants, uh, microscopic plants. All the, all the community changed during the year because we have many kinds of different uh, plankton, like we have 
many kinds of plants on the on the land, it's the same in the water. And every every kind of this uh, this phytoplankton is adapted to some intensity of light or for some quantity of nutrient in the water. So depending on this parameter, you have one or the other kind of phytoplankton that will grow. And depending on what kind of phytoplankton will grow, you have different uh, predators or different consumers that will uh, like one more than the other. So depending on which one you have, you will develop different trophic chain until seals, for example, or until whales, or until... Uh, so it, it depends on what is at the roots, uh, what we'll see at the end. Yeah. And it's interesting to know what is at the end because of of the diversity of the ecosystem, but also because there is a population, Inuit population that lives there and that consumes these animals. And they also want to know uh, what will happen with uh, the seals, with the larva, with the beluga, etc. Sure, yeah. Yeah, you have to know the whole system so that if anything changes, yeah, exactly. uh, climate or plastic or whatever, you can see what's going to happen, hopefully. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so um, so you've been on lots of uh, so having been on all of this incredible fieldwork, do you have a particular highlight that stood out in your mind, like a the best experience or day or anything that you remember? And then I'm also going to ask what are the uh, the worst bits, <laughs> just to <laughs> you know, tell everyone it's not all glamour. And, uh... <laughs> um, yeah, I think the, the first time I went in Arctic was of course a uh, uh, highlight because it was a, a discovery of, uh, of a new world of, uh, but also recently now i i i, I quit the academic uh, to to work in an organism that that is uh, that work closely with the inuit uh, communities mm -hmm. and we we are doing some mentorship with uh, with the communities and we're trying to answer what they need if there is some needs about working on, on uh, for example pollution or on quality of food quality of water so we help them to implement uh, research to answer this question and recently uh, i did my first uh, mission with this organism and i, I went with in a, in a small village in Hudson Bay. And that was an amazing experience also because I went with Hunter, uh, Inuit Hunter on the field and we had he had uh, seals and just to see always is doing to to end the seals and the technique always open the seal after to take the meat and everything just to see this this work uh, going on was uh, was incredible. Yeah, that has seemed to see the, these people that, that live there since uh, hundred of years or millennia. It's uh, it's really incredible. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm gonna ask you all about that coming up, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah. um... But yeah, you know, just quickly, yeah, what were the what are the low what are the worst bits of field work? I don't have very bad experience on the field, but I will say it's mostly it's a time spent on the computer. Actually, it's a, a little dark side of the science that uh, I think everybody know that's working on the field. That when you like to be on the field, you 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 want to. To spend most of your time on the field, but uh, you have also to work most of the time finally on the computer, working paper, doing research. But one part of this job is very interesting. I like it. I like the, the fact there is both 
because you don't want to spend 20 months on the north, so it's very tiring and all those things. But maybe at some time I just, oh, I just feel that I spend too much time on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I sympathize with that entirely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. Lovely. So, yeah, you just, um, like you said just then, so you, you left academia about a year ago, you said. Was that, yeah. a, um, was that a deliberate decision or was that a pandemic decision or anything like, did, did you choose yeah. to move on to something else? Yeah, it was a deliberate uh, decision. I actually find that the, there is a lot of competition uh, to, to get a uh, position in, uh, in, uh, in science. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not sure that the position of professor was what I want uh, because I think you need a lot of dedication. And I know that to get a position, I would like to be uh, 100% uh, in this uh, scientific work. And I have a lot of other passion uh, on the side. I love photography, I love movie making, I love traveling. So finally, after the last contract I have, I decided to travel for one year Mm -hmm. in South America. And like this, I, I was sure I will cut my my career, and I have no choice to find something else when I will come back. So it's what I did, and I I take the opportunity during my travel to take a lot of pictures, to do a short video. So I I use this time also to perform my. Uh, ability to, to take to make image and actually when I come back I, I find this I, I would like to just do image and video but I find this organism uh, this, uh, that uh, that work with the Inuit communities and it's I like it because it's applied science it's directly uh, we ask uh, to the communities what is what they want to study and why so uh, the, the demand uh, came from them and so we, we know that it will be useful directly uh, I know that uh, academic science is very useful but sometimes you have to work 10 20 years before having significant uh, uh, yeah, uh, utility. Or... So, and also because this project with this organism, there is also a part uh, of outreach uh, where we want to do uh, video and image when we go on, uh, on in the north just to share what we are doing. And so it can motivate uh, more than uh, because. I have this idea to do only image and, and documentary and maybe not no more science, but finally doing science with a direct purpose uh, uh, during, uh, direct, during the direct utility. And also when you accumulate uh, knowledge about science and all, you're still happy that you can continue to use it. So mm. I'm very happy with that. And on you know, the side, there is an outreach, the outreach of uh, this uh, organism. And um, so every time we go to the north, we take picture, we do video, 
And like this, we can build documentary, and after we can show it's what's going on. There is things going on in the north, and we can give ideas to other communities in the north. Mm -hmm. Oh, we want to do the same. So uh, it's also uh, also to to show to the founders that uh, things are going on. And so it's very perfect mix for me of science and, and outreach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sounds fantastic, like, mid, like really dreamy, actually. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, what, what's the name of this organization? Sorry. It's called the Arctic Connection. Arctic Connection. Okay. And what, yeah, are you, what, are you, what are you working on right now? Uh, right now, I'm working uh, on um, uh, some trace metals that accumulate in, uh, in uh, rain seals, okay. gamuals. And artichoke. So these three uh, animals are heavily um, consumed by uh, Inuit communities in Pondinlet in Baffin, uh, Baffin Island. And they, the level of, of trace metal, especially mercury, are pretty high in Arctic because of the circulation, atmospheric circulation that come from south and they end up in the north. Mm -hmm. And because of the temperature, they finish in the water and in the, in the animals and bioaccumulate in the trophic chain. So the more old animals, the more high in the trophic chain, the more you have this trace metal in your body. And you have some threshold you don't want to cross uh, because if you cross them, it's you it will affect the animals firstly, and it will also affect the people that eat these animals. Um, so with the uh, people in, in the north, they, they took uh, every time they go harvesting animals to, to eat, uh, they take a little piece to put in a ziplock and they bring them back to our lab in the south and we analyze for the trace metal. And also because at this village, are a little worried because there is a mine, there is an iron mine that okay. is there. And we know that the mine just liberates metals, trace metal and contaminants in the nature. They try to do the best to avoid it, but you, you know that it's inherent of all industrially, uh, industrial activity to have uh, this pollution. So we are here to, to try to, to make a monitoring of this level of, of contaminants. So I'm actually working on that. Uh, that's one of the projects. And I have, I have another project in Hudson um, Bay, in Wankini uh, Lane, the place I just picked a little before. There in Wankini Lane, they see that there is change in the ice cover. They feel the climate change. And they want to know what's going on with the trophic chain, what's going on with the animals, as I would like to know if there will be a change in the dominant uh, animals that live there, and if, right. if this will impact the harvesting uh, and the quota uh, for uh, for hunting. So we are implementing the monitoring, uh, so with a uh, Sampling of water, sampling of fish, or zooplankton, and different all different levels, and we will look at the diet of animals, what they are eating, and like this, we we can have an idea if the if the ecosystem is healthy or not, or if there is some uh, uh, lacking in in, uh, in, the, in the food for some species. Or, uh, so we we try to. Uh, we do mentor mentorship with people in the north, and the, the goal is they are autonomous after to do this uh, research for by, by their own.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. So do they, so yeah, so when you say it's like, um, I guess, Inuit or Indigenous led, do they like come to you or do you like with their problems or do you go and ask them what they're most concerned about and see if you can help? Yeah, it's exactly as it works. Um, I, I'm pretty new in this organism, though, so it's not me who have the direct uh, right, yeah. uh, contact of the, of the, uh, of the asking. Uh, but uh, what we do is uh, it starts with one project where uh, my colleague uh, was in close relation with, uh, with people in one village and they say there is some issues about this. And say, oh, it could be nice to, to understand uh, why it's like this. So we start to do this first project. And after the other community heard about what we are doing. And so every time it came from the north, it's a problematic that came from the north. And we help them to start the project to uh, do protocol or how we can uh, sample or answer this question and after implement the project and do outreach on it. So yeah, the question came really from the north. Okay, fantastic. That sounds great. Yeah, it's really kind of the kind of thing that's uh, needed, I suppose. Um, exactly, are yeah. Are there many other organizations that you know of that do similar things or is this kind of a, I think there must be, but I'm not sure that there can't be that many. <laughs> Yeah, there is not so much. Uh, it's why we have a lot of uh, demand. Right. I know that in the west of Canada, I think there is similar organization. Here, there is also many organizations that work with uh, Inu, mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, that live more in the south near Quebec. Um, but no, in the north, there is not so much. Uh, it's hard to combine uh, right now academic science because most of the time, what we study in academic science is not especially of direct interest for uh, communities, because it's, it's not the, it's hard to explain why phytoplankton is directly important yeah, yeah. Uh, for them, uh, for example. So, yeah, I think it's two kind of approach, but I think it's very important that we consider more and more as a need of the community because they live there, uh, it's their playground. So when we came as scientists, the minimum is to connect with uh, these people and to share our, uh, our results with them uh, and not just go back in south, do our analysis and never give news to them. So I think the minimum is, is to, to share our research with the people in the north. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Okay. Wow. Good job. <laughs> Doing that whole yeah. That's awesome. So in, in so your role at the moment, are you doing more of the like sample analysis or are you doing more of the documentary film geography um, stuff? I'm actually doing both. Um, Fabulous. Yeah, what I like also is to mix uh, the activities. So I have one part where I do some review to just know the context of So I I read paper, scientific paper. Um, I'm I'm working on a manuscript, uh, scientific paper about this contaminant. Normally, we don't really write paper because it's not of use for 
for people in the north. But uh, but here uh, we know that uh, we can have more weight with a scientific paper to if we have to argue uh, with the mind, for example, or if you have to argue with the level of contaminant yeah, yeah. politic uh, management. So it's it's good sometimes to to write a paper for that. And also I'm working on a, a short movie of animation movie, motion motion design movie. Uh, so we work with a team of motion designers. And earlier, I write a review about the Hudson Bay ecosystem. And now we put this in motion design. So that's really fun to write a scenario and try to imagine how you can put that in image. And the goal is really to show actually the importance of what we call bottom-up process. It's the importance of phytoplankton actually on the big animals to say if you have ring seal, whale, and all, it's because at the basis you have this phytoplankton. Mm. And phytoplankton is less known in the, in the north because it's, it's invisible. So if you don't have a microscope, you, you cannot see them. So it's, I think it's, it's good to, to show this uh, mechanism linked to the, to the invisible part of the, of the life in the ocean. Really, yeah, especially something, like you say, that's so important as phytoplankton. No. Yeah, exactly. It does. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so, how did you get into? So, did you you made a. This isn't your first documentary. You've made a couple, right? So, how did you get into kind of documentary making? I I start doing the video uh, during my travel. Uh, I went one year in South Asia and one year also in South America at different time. And um, during this, uh, this travel, we do a lot of volunteering projects uh, because we, we would like, when we travel like this, we would like to, to show what is the reality of, of the country, and, which is very different to what we see on the television, on the news. <laughs> it's, yeah. not, it's not bad in the, what's happening in, in most of this country, and, uh, uh, as we see. And we would like to highlight the... Um, the seeds of change we see in this country. Also, doing volunteering, most of the time it's a group of people that want to change things, that is to put a new paradigm in their country, to do permaculture, to... Um, there is many different projects. So we take, took part to this project, helping at the same time, I bought a video and I, I tried to build a hotel video. So it starts like this. Um, I really like to document just the beauty of nature anyway, just film mountain and take picture. And during one um, one mission I did in uh, in the north and during the ice camp, I met uh, a guy who was a coordinator on the on the on the film because it's called Eric and he's living with his family uh, on a sailboat in Arctic. They are from France, but since 15 years now, they, they spend their time in the north in the same boat. Okay. So the, the, the girls came on school with the Inuits in the Inuit communities. So they learn how to work with the skin of seals. Okay. And they are doing scientific measurements all year long. So we can say they are kind of sentinel of uh, climate by, uh, by staying there. And 
this time of the ice camp we did with, uh, with our scientific team. Eric was in charge of the ice camp setting uh, all the aspects of the because he has knowledge of, of the of the of the place, um, and we discussed, and he told me that he had a lot of image that he took during all the time he spent in the north, mm-hmm. and he would like to have a documentary, the possibility to make a documentary about uh, their contribution to science, polar science. So he sent, he gave me all the hard drive with the with the image and. I did a documentary, a long documentary of 50 minutes uh, about that. I have a lot of pleasure to, to work on this. So that was the first uh, documentary mm-hmm. I did. Wow, what a lifestyle. That's fantastic. Can you imagine just like growing up in the Arctic on a, just a, what kind of boat yeah. were they living on? Was it a sailing, a sailing boat? Yeah, it, it's, wow. it's sailing boat. It's crazy because they host uh, scientists, scientists on board. Uh, so they went on from many different kind of science. Uh, it can be to look at birds and the colony of birds. Uh, it can be uh, the polar bear, it can be the phytoplankton. So the, the kids that are on board, it's crazy because they can try everything. They can meet so much different person wow. and yeah, it's incredible. Wow, yeah, incredible. Yeah, I, I'd love, love to see your documentary. <laughs> yeah, cool, yeah. Yeah, I, I can share that, of course. And uh, now I'm, I'm working on a new documentary, which is more, it is also a scientific documentary about the importance of light in Arctic and all the light with govern the ecosystem, uh, the, the, the development of, light, of uh, life during the spring and summer and all uh, the animal can cope with the winter. Mm-hmm. Also, all the scientists scientists use the light to study life in, in Arctic. So that's uh, the project. That also sounds really good. So yeah, <laughs> if you if you we may if you if you've got like a link to them, we can put them on our you know when yeah. the podcast goes out, so people can find them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So why like obviously this obviously like photography and filmmaking is like a passion for you. Mm. Do you think, I mean, maybe it's a bit of an obvious question, but obviously that they're a really good tool for like science communication as well. Is that part of the reason it's um, so into it? Yeah, yeah, I think now most of the projects have the outreach side and they, um, they try, I think it's a need now that the public uh, understand what scientists are doing and why uh, all they are working because uh, climate change uh, what most of the scientists, scientists have to study also in Arctic when we work on polar uh, place it's a uh, world issues and so everybody needs to understand what's going on and all the scientific scientists are, are working because when you see a result coming, you, it will affect certainly your, your life uh, now because politics need to take decision about uh, restriction of consumption, change uh, uh, the way we, uh, we use uh, energy. Everything it can, it came from consultation from scientists. So it's important that the public understand how we, we build this knowledge and how we, we came to this conclusion. So, um, I have the impression that 
image is very strong. Uh, it talks to people more than uh, paper. Um, and uh, it's, it's very good media to, to make them uh, support and, and take conscience of, of awareness of, of what happened. And I like to show the, the beauty of, of the place because when you like a place, you want to protect it. So more than to say the catastrophe of what's happening, I prefer to show what is beautiful and all the positiveness also of, of the research, of the discovery, and of the just of the landscape. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, it goes without saying, doesn't it? Of course, everyone listening at home knows the power of a good documentary. Then it's like, that's what grabs your attention. It's all very well reading or talking about it like we are now, now, but, you know, yeah. it replaces uh, the visual, does it? So, yeah. 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 Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any, do you have any other, do you have any other, other things planned or what would be kind of your, what would be the dream topic to like make a documentary about? Let's say? <laughs> I don't know if I have a dream topic. I really like all the topics around nature or and, uh, wildlife. Uh, maybe I would like to do more documentary about uh, these people living in the north, uh, northern people. Um, we take a good awareness of, of the like, condition of what happened and there is really people living there. But I will be happy also to diversify even walking more in the south, outside of the polar region. I'm really uh, open to, it's why I, I, tra- I like to travel because I like to, I have very high curiosity to, to the, for the world. Uh, I think it's one of my mission to, to discover the more I can from, the, from this world. So, and um, when I, I do image, I like to, to show what the beauty, but also the little details that make uh, we like a place. Or, or so sometimes we don't know wh- why we, we like a landscape or something that can come just from one little details. But now it, the project it's. I just go with the flow also, yeah. and now I'm, I'm happy uh, with that. I, I'm not sure I, I would like to do only photography, for example. I think it's good to have a mix. Uh, I like to have a mix of photography, video, uh, vulgarization, uh, and, uh, and science also. Uh, I'm not anymore have the purpose to be only a uh, photographer. Mm-hmm. Mixed media. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, one of the the thing I would really like to do, I would like to do more in the future, is to to be on a scientific mission, like like a correspondent, mm-hmm. uh, like that will be on board to to share what happened and um, with a video, uh, photo, and podcast. Actually, I really like the, this media because when you listen, you. You can imagine your image you know, in your head. You can uh, it creates more space, I think, for imagination when you just have sound. So during my my travel in the south, sometime on the, on the, our website uh, blog, we did that. We just put a sound of uh, forest or, or whatever, and I think it's a very good way to transport uh, people and, and to use a different of our sense than just 
Uh, yeah, yeah, we had um, we had someone on on Polar Times um, not that oh, a while ago, and she had made a podcast of sounds from her trip to an expedition an expedition to Greenland, and she recorded loads of different sounds from like the boat and the ice and all that, mm. stuff and made a podcast that was just that, and then like snippets of people talking about the site and stuff. And you can listen to it on Polar Times. Go back and listen. Uh, everyone else, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was the yeah. it's called Calera, I think. Oh, Butcher the yeah. but you'll find it. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. Mm. right, nice. And just um just speaking of photography, I just wanted to talk about the um the photo that won our Apex photo competition. So um I just have I'm just look, I'm just looking at it. I'm just looking at it right here. I'm not surprised it's won. It's a great photo. And just for the people, I'm gonna try and describe it for the people listening. I imagine this is one of your ice caps now you've, now that you've yeah. talking about them. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So um so yeah, so there's kind of like a, there's like a nice snowy ice field, um, blue, cloudy sky. In the background there are those kind of mountains that you get um in the Arctic and Antarctic, which look kind of small, but I imagine they're massive. Um and then in the foreground there's this big kind of melt pond, which is a lovely blue colour reflecting the sky. And in the middle of that is that floating? There's like a pontoon and a little a sledge forming a bridge to this pontoon. And then on the pontoon, there's like a, like a kind of Nissan hut canvas dome. And there's a door to the dome standing open. Um, yeah, it looks very sunny. It looks very peaceful. <laughs> so, so where was this taken? What's the story? What's the story behind it? So, uh, yeah, um, I like this, this photo because uh, it, I like when a photo can be symbolic of something. Um, I think this uh, can be symbolic of the melting of ice, of course. Right. But this process we see on this picture happens every year. It's a, it's a normal process um, because uh, every year the ice is is melting in, in summer or in the Arctic and. But now it's melting more north and more north with, with the global change. But um, the first step when the the ice cap is melting, uh, the ice uh, yeah the ice sheet is melting is the formation of this melt pond. So there's a lot of little lake with this beautiful color, blue color. And at this time we have one of these melt ponds that just form under our polar event tent, which is makes sense because. We are not as white as the snow with the tints, so it attracts more. The, yeah. yeah, it's warmer. So it's why it's start to create around this around the tint, and we have to take this optic, this uh, little sledge. Uh, we find that in the dump in in the village, and uh, we think it would be a good bridge uh, mm -hmm. to continue to grow on the on the on the tint, but. Um, after a time, the water start to to came in the tint, so we have to to put higher all the instruments we have in the tint. We have to find strategy to to put uh, to put our stuff a little uh, more high on the bench and everywhere. And I remember when I was walking, so I have boots uh, because it's. At, at, at times, sometimes we have to go outside because it's cold, just to have this cold water, zero degree water around our feet. And sometimes I was just looking off 
some tools for my work and they are just floating in the tent. <laughs> so I have to right after the, as the instrument and uh, of the material that are just floating around. And finally, it was, it, it lacked just a few centimeters before we have to cancel the ice cam because the water will be too high and will reach uh, some instruments that cannot be in the water. But uh, just before this happened, there is some crack forming on the on the ice sheet, and all the water that was on the on the on the ice sheet start to drain in the ocean. So we have again a clean uh, ice sheet, because the, here is the what you see is the first step of the melting. But later, all the ice sheet is covered by a, a layer of water of uh, maybe. Uh, 50 centimeter of water or one meter of water everywhere. So when you are driving a snowmobile, you are like if you're driving on a lake. It's really wow. amazing. Yeah. Wow. And, and you just need to be careful because there is a hole made by seals. You need to be sure to not fall in a hole. But these holes are, are more dark, so you can see them. <laughs> oh, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, what a more like stark and sobering indication of climate change than like the the ground literally melting <laughs> beneath. Yeah, exactly. No, it's quite amazing. Like, it's little like you can see in, uh, in Bolivia, if you see this desert, the salt desert of Salar, it's very famous image of this desert covered by a sea layer of water. Mm -hmm. You have this amazing image where all the sky is reflecting in the, in the, in the water like a mirror. And then you have the same thing. It's, it's really wonderful also to see. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, this is a great photo. And um, if you would like to see it, listeners, then you can either just Google Apex photo competition and you'll find it, but we'll also probably put a link in the podcast uh, bio. All right. So that brings us to the last part of the podcast. We like to call it the, the Polar Plug. This is where we give our, our guest uh, a chance just to talk about something. It can be anything. So something that you want to communicate to the general public about polar science or anything. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, uh, thank you very much for hosting me. Uh, it was great to, to talk uh, about uh, polar science with you. Um, yeah, I will be happy to, to share with uh, the community pictures, so don't hesitate to go. I have a, a blog uh, with my name, Pierre Coupel Photography. Uh, it's in French, but the photography uh, are available, and there is plenty of photography of polar, uh, of polar environment, but also uh, of my traveling. So don't hesitate to to, see, to go to see that. And also, I would like to to share about with the polar communities um, about the importance of involving the northern communities and northern people when we are going in the north. I think these people are living there. They have an incredible knowledge about their land, about the animals, about everything in the north. They, they are there all the time, 24 hours. So it's important to, I think, to develop research that will answer the needs of, of people in, in the north uh, when you are going to do your field close to communities. So, yeah, it's what I would like to share. Uh, lovely, yeah. 
That was great. Thank you. I'm sure you won't find any arguments for anyone <laughs> uh, there. And also, though you just said it just now, that that's the really nice thing about a photo, a photo that you just said. It doesn't matter like if your blog's in French, people can still look at the photos and feel there. Yeah. See, see what it's like and hopefully feel something. So, yeah. Exactly. All right. Lovely. That sadly brings us to the end of another episode of Polar Times. Thank you so much, everyone, who has listened for coming back to our little podcast one more time. Please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. And if you feel like giving us a little review on whatever podcast app you're on, that would be fantastic. We would love that. Um, so, yeah. So, all that remains is for me to thank my guest for today, Pierre Capel. Thank you so much. It's been yeah. lovely chatting. Thank you to you, Jack, and uh, I hope the best for, for the Polar podcast and thank to everybody that's doing in the north. <laughs> yeah, and all the best likewise. Please note that whilst this is an Apex production, the views and opinions expressed by the host and any guests are entirely their own. Do not represent the views or opinions of Apex or any other host institution mentioned.